Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. Even Justin Langer telling me years later that, mate, you're the smiling assassin. You just always look like you're having a great time. And um, and the general public told me that as well. And, and deep down, maybe I was on the verge of being dropped or, you know, haven't got any wickets recent times, but no one knew from the outside that I was actually uh, maybe struggling. But, you know, my output physically was pretty, pretty resilient and uh, looked like Jesus Christ never going away. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats. I'm Shane Watson, and today we are joined by another very special person who inspired me as I was growing up in a huge way. As Craig McDermott did for me, this guy also grew up around the same area as I did, and he made me realise that even though you come from a smaller town like Ipswich, you can still achieve your dreams to play for Australia. This guy was a true warrior, giving his heart and soul every time he stepped out onto the field, and I feel so fortunate to have had him mentor me during the first half of my career. Andy Bickle, thank you so much for taking time to be on my show. Mate, uh, it's an absolute pleasure, Wano, um, to, uh, to, to be sitting here and, uh, and, and doing this uh, in, a, in a podcast and hopefully uh, we're going to talk about some stuff that, uh, you know, that uh, ignited both of us in, in, in our journey and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, um, we'll get to the detail already. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, Bick made his test debut against the West Indies in 1997 and always had an impact every time he donned the baggy green. He had the exact same effect in the Aussie one-day team too after de- debuting during the same summer against the Windies. But then due to just being born at the ro- <laughs> during the wrong era, <laughs> Bick played for Australian <laughs> fits and starts um, as he was competing with the likes of Glenn McGrath, Jason Gillespie, Brett Lee and his great mate Michael Kasperwitz for one of the three fast bowling spots in, in that in, you know, great Aussie team. As well as being 12th man, for 19 test matches, Bick played 19 tests, taking 58 wickets with one five-wicket haul. And to go with it, he played 67 one-day internationals, taking 78 wickets with two five-wicket hauls. I was very fortunate to play with Bick during the early part of my Aussie career uh, in one-day cricket. And we also played a lot of domestic games together for our beloved Queensland and also for Hampshire in a little stint that we had together in 2005. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> the one thing that stood out to me above all else with Bick was one of the rare qualities that fast bowlers are always trying to chase. The holy grail for a fast bowler in four-day cricket is to be able to maintain your bowling speed all the way throughout a day. And Bick was certainly one of these. Even his last ball of the day had as much energy behind it as his first. That was always incredibly inspiring to me. Okay, Bick, you had a lot of amazing highlights during your career, and I'm just going to give um, one standout one for me <laughs> um, watching you, and that was your crucial performances during the Aussies' undefeated 2003 World Cup campaign. Um, your spell against England 
seven for 20 in a, <laughs> in a World Cup game. Um, and you're crucial, and I cannot forget this, and I have to mention this, you're crucial 34 not out when the Aussies were in trouble. You and Michael Bevan to get, um, to get the Aussie boys home. It was a day that I remember like it was yesterday watching from afar. Um, Vic, what do you remember about that, about that time? Um, look, uh, it, it what a great uh, little tournament for me. But um, I think what I, you know, you, I think Steve Ward sort of said, you know, you, um, you, you practice for that perfect day. And um, um, but one, one of the things that um, I knew that was going on really well. I'd been played a bit of county cricket, so I'd, I'd got a good few performances under my belt, and. I was probably the fittest of my career um, and going going really really well, even though at other times I was fit. There was always you know there was always that um, niggling little injury, but I, in this case I had nothing, mm. and I sort of probably got myself down a little bit because I was going there to play Namibia, Holland, and Kenya um, because the the big team were pretty much all fit and ready to go. We had a bit of a a jolt at the start with uh, Warney missing out on the on the tournament, but um, you know Brad Hogg was been playing out throughout that summer, so he just came in. So that was an easy one. And then, um, yeah, I got to play a couple of practice matches. Really, you might say against Namibia and Holland, which they didn't score too many runs, but got to bowl a few overs. And um, and people will forget that um, going into my next match, which whichever match that was going to be, I was going to be on a hat trick. And um, and as it turned out, we're, um, we're, uh, uh, I've got the late call-up um, for Jason Gillespie being injured and, um, and I was into the team. Um, no, one in the other, no one in my team knew that I was on a hat-trick. Um, <laughs> and and you it did? didn't go to plan that for <laughs> the first nine overs. <laughs> um, we were going around the park a little bit and Glenn and, uh, and Brett was, were going for a few runs. So, so I was getting to the top of my mark, like as you probably know me, that I was just, I don't give, I don't know who, who was, you know, Nick Knight. Uh, I'm just going to try and get this bloke out and get a hat trick, you know. And uh, I charged in, and it was only a few balls later that I got him out. But um, look, it just fell and in, fell into, into, into play. Um, you know, I think I got um, five wickets or four wickets pretty quickly in the spell. Potentially, I probably could have stayed on, but then I went into the ba- into the boundary. Affected a run out from the boundary, which is quite rare as well. And then um, they called me back into bowl. And I think the first ball I came back from my spell, I got a wicket. So it was just nothing went wrong for me on that day. Um, and then um, to be to be there at the end with Bevo to, to hit it, score a few few winning runs. Mind you, I had to duck a few bats in the dressing room. Uh, um, so it was sort of when you bat down the order, as you know, as you know, well, not too much for you, but. Uh, as you know, you're ducking a few bats, so none of those hit me as well. So everything's going really well. And then uh, to come out and score a few runs at the end, and it, it was. Um, I'd trained and, and tried to perfect my game all those years, and it, it, it was my perfect game. I still thought that I was going to have you know, a few, few fewer nine-fers and 34 not-out games after that, but that never, ever happened. And uh, uh, when I sit back now and look at it, it goes, that was the perfect day where nothing, nothing, nothing went wrong. Yeah, that's where the days you dream of and you work so bloody hard for, Bixie. Um, yeah. Bix, you had a lot of very special moments um, on the cricket field. You mentioned um, that one during the World Cup. But was there another moment um, to you that really stands out um, the most? Oh, look, uh, one thing, I, I, I won so many things throughout my career. Just to, to win as much as I did, you know, whether it was a, 
a great premiership, a Lords final with you in England, you know, which was unique, you know, 28,000 people, pretty much 14,000 going for one team and 14,000 going for the other team. That's sort of unique stuff. Mm. Test match wins, one day wins in a, in a row, uh, a World Cup, uh, Sheffield Shield for the first time. So that's just ridiculous when you sit down and take a list of what the teams I played in and we won. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me as an athlete or, or someone in the game was to actually change the psyche of the Australian cricket team um, and for me to be batting at seven uh, in a test match and um, and blow, and they played four quicks, which was something we'd never done in the West Indies. And I think um, for me to be able to be playing that well to force the selectors' hands to change the team to, um, yeah, okay, admittedly Adam Gilchrist was going okay as a batter, so he was batting at six, so it was all right, but... Uh, but I, but really, it, um, it to to do that, I think, it's, um, as a someone who's striving every week and week in week out, and like you said, being on the tw- on the bench, yeah, you know, registered nineteen, but I think it's about fifty seven Test matches I sat there and watched. But um, um, to actually get into a team and then finally change the whole psyche of the Australian cricket team with um, with with that, um, you know, was was pretty special for me. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, it's it's super when you you talk about you know those teams and moments that you <laughs> that you would have celebrated because of all those wins you're involved in. That's it's incredibly special, mate. Um, that's for sure. And then there's some people who go through their careers and have very successful individual um, careers, but actually very you know don't really win much. So um, it's a lot of parties. <laughs> A lot of parties and a lot of good times and uh, and some serious good celebrations. So you know that was um, you know which was which was outstanding. You know the world the World Cup, I suppose, was the biggest party. You know, as it should be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Big is now one of Australia's great fast bowling coaches and mentors. So his insights are going to be awesome. So Bixie, I'm going to dig into the skill side of things now. Um, so from a bowling point of view, was there one specific technical component? that really stands out to you that you worked really hard on and developed. So you, from that moment on, you knew if you bought that every time, you were going to be as close to your best um, as you possibly could. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, I, I sort of stumbled on this. I suppose there was a few uh, different coaches around, but I, I was getting a little bit chest on in my in my action and um, it sort of stopped, stopped me swinging the ball, probably getting used to bowling with an old ball as well, which, you know, my games with Australia was, um, you know, pretty much pretty much that and, you yeah. um, Got a little bit chest on, and I think um, just getting in those right positions on back foot landing, um, all of a sudden, um, just created the ball to swing for me, and um, and then I was seen to be on the ball, so therefore was, the pace was up as well, and uh, wrist was right behind the ball. So, look, it took a little while to work that out, and um, you know, I wish I would have worked it out a bit earlier, but um, I think as a coach now. Um, that's what I'm. I'm trying to teach the, a lot of my young guys that are coming through the fact that they've they've got to get that um, that back foot landing position in a, in a power position, and um, and when they're doing that, you, they you can see them in their eyes uh, just light up, and um, they they work it out pretty soon. So that's the that's the major one for me, I think. And and um, you know now I'm lucky enough to be in a coaching position where I can I can pass it on. So what what exactly did that position look like, Bick? Like obviously in the back foot landing, what position in a in a perfect scenario? Where was your where was your front shoulder, your left shoulder? What position? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think also it's it's you sort of build from the ground up. I think Shane, you know, wherever your foot is on the back foot, um, your hips should line up with your foot angle, mm. um, and then from there your shoulder points, uh, the two shoulder points in your, in your shoulder should line up with that. 
Um, then, therefore, you know, these silly old arms get getting all, all different positions. But if you if you line those those points up in, in a power position at back foot landing, whether you're front on, side on, semi semi front on, um, you know, you, you're on a winner straight away. And that takes a lot to do. It doesn't happen overnight, and you've got to get in. Um, some drills like uh, you know, like batters used to have throwdowns um, and plenty of them. Um, you know, it's it's good to get in some bowling um, bowl throughs that where you're actually getting in a, a good position. And the slower you can go, um, the harder it is. So uh, we all like to go a little bit faster. And same probably with uh, with with the sidearms these days. You know that um, uh, everyone's trying to hit the ball harder and faster, and we sort of go quicker with the sidearms because they can really maintain some pace from the people that are throwing them and it's the same for bowling we just want to get in and do the motion and get through but we actually slowing it down gets you in um you know some real good feedback for the individual to get in a really strong position so um, yeah that's that's really it building it from the ground up and making sure that things are in line so what was that moment where it did click that that what stage of your career was that when you realized that okay that's a that alignment is the most important thing. If I do that every ball, then the ball's going to be coming out exactly how I want. Yeah, it was a shield game. I'll, I'll never forget it at the Gabbo, um, pretty good swinging conditions and um, came back from an Aussie tour and been playing a lot of one-day cricket and uh, bowled the first uh, first spell, you might say, and no, no movement uh, <laughs> on a pretty uh, pretty good wicket. And, yeah. uh, I, was, I was just didn't know what was going on. So, um it took us uh, till the second innings to sort it out, um, you know, the, in between the innings to do a few things in the nets and a few drills and uh, work with a few of the coaches and throw a few ideas around. John Buchanan was always pretty good for those. And um, and in the second innings, I, you know, I think I got wickets probably because all of a sudden I got in a better position. So, look, that was a, probably around 28, 29, okay. so late in my career um, to, to, to work that out. And, um and, uh, you know, which sort of, you know, probably a few years too late. And in the meantime, I was fluffing around before that, you know, you might say. So, but um, look, it was, it was um, a, a good moment, which I needed to have as well, because it was a reality check coming back into the uh, good conditions for bowling and, uh, and not, not swinging the ball either. It was pushing it down leg side and all this sort of stuff going on. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a painful experience at the time. But, um, you know, thank God I, I, I was able to rectify it pretty quickly. Yeah, it's amazing how because Bicu, it's um, certainly can never underplay this. Up until twenty seven or twenty eight, at around that time, you'd played and you know, been very successful as well with Queensland and county cricket and for Australia as well. So it's amazing that it took that. There's a moment where it's just like okay, there was a like an aha moment. Was okay if I if I do that, then gosh, I, like I wish I found it earlier. Like <laughs> we we all wish we would have known things earlier um, and found things earlier. But to be able to find that. Um, at that moment in time, it's, it's, it's a great thing for people listening out there to realise that it can take a bit of time to be able to find exactly that, that right technical aspect that then just thing everything else falls into place. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we have come a long way, though, what I, in, the, in the fact that, you know, there is, um, you know, if I'm doing a, a young session with some young guys, um, you know, I'll get them to get their mobile phones and we'll do some video stuff and um, and they can see it. I think the hardest part, um, and maybe, you know, in my era then, you know, the coaches were telling me, but maybe I wasn't listening. And um, and that's the other part too where, you, you you know, your ears have to be working and um, um, and then therefore you can grow. Um, mm. And, um, you know, yeah, I probably didn't rate batsmen that, that much in my career and probably should have rated a little higher at, at, po- at points because I probably shouldn't have been bowling a certain ball at – they were good at hitting or whatever, but uh, 
you know, it's easy easy to say that in hindsight. But I think with video, I think it's much easier for kids to get that direct feedback and and, and make those small adjustments. So, um, yeah, you know, I think it's 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 got a really good um, a good way that if you're willing to learn, there's there's um, there's some direct feedback and you can see it as well. So, yeah. um, you know, it's that's that's pretty cool. I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's the best best way to learn. It's about yeah. see is see yourself, so then you know exactly yeah. what the feeling looks feels like, and then what it looks like as well. So you can make it the adjustments you know, during game, so you're not just yeah. relying on your coaches. Um, yeah, definitely. Bick, um, honestly, what you what you were able to do um, on the cricket field, it was like you were built out of stone. <laughs> you played 100, <laughs> 186 first class games as a frontline fast bowler, taking a staggering seven hundred and sixty nine <laughs> wickets. Um, so what were the lessons that you learned throughout your career to manage your body as well as you could to be at your best for so long? Um, look, that took a, took a little little while as well to work out. It's something that, um, um, you know, uh, I'm actually uh, having a bit of an argument now with some of our young fast bowlers and uh, um, I said before about working from the ground up and uh, I think about my shoes that I used to wear um, you know, they weighed, I'd hate to see how much they weighed some of them by the time you put the spikes and uh, the adjustments in them, but they were heavy, 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 heavy shoes. And um, maybe that's why I got big cars, but um, <laughs> uh, I think that's a family thing. But uh, look, it's, um, um, you know, shoes are so important. Um, and you, know, you only got to, you know, uh, walk around a, a test match arena and have a look at, you know, our boys today, Josh and, Pat Cummins and and Starkey, they, they you know, their shoes are so important to their their livelihood and and, and making sure that that's a, that's the right um, you know whether they've got a hole cut in whether they've got extra spikes in them they've got arch support um, orthotics you know there's so many things but um, I think that's a that's a that was a lesson that um, I was able to learn quite quite early and I think um, you know it's great the shoes today are really light and and they feel really good on your feet but. Um, some guys, you know, they're hitting their creases, you know, six, seven, eight times their body weight's going through their front foot. And if you've got a pair of little moccasins on, it's not going to, not going to look at, you're not going to look after your feet. So um, that, that was a, that was a strong, strong lesson um, that I learned. Uh, recovery was coming in um, pretty, pretty heavily through there as well. And, um, and ice bathing and, um, you know, there's obviously there's people saying that it's good or bad or whatever, but um, uh, you know, it goes right back to the years when we used to, Playing Tassie used to jump into the Derwent after the day's play, and that was like an ice bath. Then. But uh, those sorts of um, those sorts of little things that recovery, lots of pool. Um, we used lots of pool in recovery as well, and I think um, you know I think that's the way to get your body started the next day. And um, I know when I went to county cricket and was playing over there that. It was just something. It was uh, just I did all the time. So those little those little learnings in recovery and trying to get your, yourself up um, for the game because mentally, um, sometimes on that day day three, day four, day five uh, of the games when you've had a pretty good hit out in the first innings, that um, you had to get yourself up for it and uh, and physically you had to look after yourself by food and and uh, and water intake. And you think about the players today, how far they've taken that, and it's uh, it's just fantastic and. Yeah, you know, they've just taken it to another level because um, you know that that that's that's the secret. And I think in some of those early Shield games for Queensland, I, you know, I might have got three or four wickets in the first innings and none in the second innings. And um, and I was good good to know one. And um, thanks to uh, to Rod Rice and the selectors uh, <laughs> making me aware of that because um, I had to fix something. And and that was possibly my recovery to going into the into the 
into the second innings and making sure that I was up and about and, and, and ready to go. As I mentioned at the start, Big, you were um, always super fit and strong uh, to be able to do what you did and be able to hold your speed and energy all the way through a whole day of cricket, which is, as I said, the holy grail of, of, as a fast bowler. So what did your fitness regime look like that you allowed you to be able to do this all the way throughout your career? Was it a lot of running, like long-distance running, more shorter distance, strength work in the gym? Like what were your, what were your techniques to be able to – build your body to a point that you could do what you did? Yeah, I, I look, I, I probably think back right back uh, all the years, years, you know, I was playing a high level of rugby league at a very young age and, um, yeah, and, and they're not sure whether, you know, whether I was to do gym or not. And I started a bit of a gym program under, under one of my mates' house in Laidley and we were doing it twice a week and I, I really liked it. Was, um, we, were, we were getting into it and, uh, and for, for a young guy, it, it sort of was deemed that you shouldn't be doing it. And, um, so I think that that in alone itself, those you know those hot afternoons, um, you know, under my mate's house in in in, in Laidley, that sort of instilled me to, to um, some sort of fitness level. The challenge I had, I think, when I was you know when I got selected for Australia and playing county cricket, was to how do you maintain a fitness level? Um, running was quite easy for me because I was actually that's what I was doing during the day. Mm. But I was actually feeling fit and strong, and um, some of the gyms that we went in around the world. Um, you know, um, Steve Smith was um, uh, the fitness trainer for the Australian team. Jeff Marsh is a great mate, and he was he had a hard work ethic where he was he was just always always on the go, never sat still. Um, Jock Campbell, as you know, who someone you've worked with, um, they they just can't sit still for five minutes. So I became their guinea pig when I wasn't around that. I think um, the sprinting stuff, um, which was good. I was always a bit worried about road running, um, because I was doing a lot of running anyway. Um, so the short, sharp sprints, um, you know, the sort of 60 to 80 to hundred meter stuff, um, uh, is something that they probably do today as well, which is, which is pretty cool to see them do that. Um, as far as Jim, you know, I think, um, trying to get a, a pre-season into me through my cricket career was, there was only a slim few of those, and then in the meantime, it was trying to maintain some sort of gym program throughout um, those hotels and, and end of days play and what have you. So that became quite frustrating that there wasn't a big bench pressure. So we're probably free weights. It was a, a lot of free weights and, and push-ups and sit-ups and, and what have you. And, and even TheraBand uh, re, you know, re, retention that you see a lot of programs today where they're pretty good when you are travelling that you can do them. So um I mean, I'm still doing my push-ups with the boys. Um, you know, I'm sort of average um, an incentive for the boys to uh, to go out and bowl a maiden. If they bowl a maiden, I'll do ten push-ups. So I think last season I did about four thousand five hundred push-ups in the season, and we're at the moment we've had a good start to the season. So I'm heading that way again. So so I don't mind doing that either. So which is which is pretty cool. And um, I think I've always just just worked away at it, and you know, done things behind the scenes a little bit. Never was too big and walking around even though I've got a gym named after me but I'm, I was happy to do it in my in my room or in a quiet space somewhere and just working away so um you know those those little things I was trying to I suppose um find a bit of an edge what I and, and make sure that I was fitter and faster than and then my my teammates in a way and um, that's probably why we went about it a little bit secretly is that right yes <laughs> yeah because I know you obviously you're always yeah, super fit and strong. Um, and there were times I know, like obviously I trained a, a lot with you as well, but there were times you're like, 
How's he got like? Because he's not like going super hard in the gym and that. Like when <laughs> when you'd rock up, yeah. so you're doing yeah things to to have that edge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at one one point there, which I you know I couldn't even swim really to swim, swim a lap of the pool at school, but I went to the West Indies and I seemed to be doing a lot of bowling in the nets and you know I think I might hold a record. Um, you know, toured the West Indies three times and bowled about 25 overs, but, um, you know, in, in matches, you know, but, uh, um, it, it, you know, uh, they got me into swimming and, um, you know, I was swimming uh, many, many laps in, 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 the, in the pools, which were, you know, the water was nice and warm and tropical, so it was pretty easy to do it. But um, that, was it. that was an interesting phase, I reckon, as well, just getting into that and, and swimming as much as I could, you know, and uh, it was no record numbers, but it was um, – for even for me to swim 50 laps or a 25 or 100 laps of the pool um, was a, pretty much a battle because it was it was I was wrestling with the water and, and um, it was no you know, smooth um, Karen you know, bloody techniques in, in the whole show it was all pretty uh, pretty pretty rough and ready but um, but in the end I got, I got pretty good at it and um, you know so there was those sorts of phases as well through your through your career where. You know, doing a lot of bowling on your on your legs, playing first class cricket in Australia and county cricket. Then I had to find other ways to to try and you know get fit. I, you know, a lot of the guys today go bike riding and, and stuff as well. So they another another fitness element to 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 the players of today, where you know they're off their legs, but they're they're um, deloading by riding bikes and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, swimming is a a huge part as well because it does. Yeah, you can get your fitness in, but you're not loading up your your, your joints, your legs, um, and that you, you know, you're getting fitness off your legs. Okay, big. I'm going to move into the the mental side, um, and I know you know you talked you always talk to me a lot about these um, about this. So um, look, to be a fast bowler, you're pushing your your body limits all the time, and to continue to do this, you need to be very mentally tough <laughs> to be able to absorb that stuff that's going on. So, from a mental skills point of view, were you always built a certain way, or did you develop certain mental skills that you used? Um, to give yourself the best chance of being at your best um, as you consistently were. Yeah, well, I think I was lucky in this area, Shane, and, and um, it's the fact that um, my uncle taught me very early that you know if you um, if you got into a fight, you know, make sure you throw the first one. You know, it, it was just a, a street fighting sort of attitude, and mm-hmm. uh, which was not something I I condoned. But um, it, you know, it's the fact that you're you're ready for that first ball. Um, and um, even thinking back to Laidley, they all thought I was crazy because I was doing warm-ups and stuff before the game, uh, stretching and, you know, running on the spot and maybe a few uh, star jumps or whatever before I bowled and everyone's going, what's wrong with him? And um, <laughs> it was about being ready for that first ball. And it was only a few years later, you know, I got into the Australian team and Jason Gillespie, we're out in the middle of uh, the SCG warming up and, uh, and he's, he says, Vic, tell me why. Why is your first ball... Always at 140 k's. Like I, I take a long time to get up to that, and, and you just seem to be on. I said, "Well, it's just a, a thing I've just grown with." And um, I think a lot of that's done in mentally before I, you know, in, on the way to the ground in the bus, um, yeah, especially that toss. You know, that, I think I was so nervous around a toss of the coin, um, and um, and never really probably showed it. But I was, I just wanted to bowl, and um, you know, I know got in the test team and you're talking to Mark Taylor, he goes, you know, 99% of the time you win the toss and you bat and the other time you think about it and you still bat. But um, <laughs> that sort of was a real frustrating for me because sometimes you had to wait 
you know, best part of a day and a half sometimes to, to get the ball in your hand. And um, and then Glenn McGrath and, you know, Jason Gillespie take it, so I have to wait a little bit longer <laughs> as well. But uh, uh, that was uh, quite frustrating me, for me because I just want to get into the game. And, and the best way I knew that was to bowl. And, um, you know, so those... That sort of stuff, uh, you know, sort of plagued me a little bit. I think, um, I think back to the ninety four, ninety five, the Shield final. I, I, I think there was no happier man in Queensland that uh, Queensland had um, lost the toss and, and were bowling, and um, I just couldn't wait to get out there. And um, so that 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 was something that I had, and um, you know, that was you know from a young age. I only played sort of seven Shield games before that Shield final, and um, and I was like, I burst onto the scene. Everyone's going, where the hell, where the hell did this guy come from? And um, so I had that, and I think the struggles for me was that second inning stuff, getting mentally up for it, and not and feeling a little bit off. Phil Jauncey, uh, you know, he he was our our sports psychologist at Queensland, and we'd had others before that, Sandy Gordon and and what have you. But I didn't really strike a strike a, a sort of chord really with with Sandy, and we threw some stuff around, and it sort of helped, but it didn't really help. And I think Phil Jauncey was um, for me the one that. Um, that really got me going and got me a belief in what I what I had, and and that was to um, uh, keep being busy and get back to the top of my mark. And uh, I think the days when I bowled so badly, I might have been sledging the batsman or asking him a few questions about this, that, and the other, and hanging around that end too long, opposed to getting back to the top of my mark and and being ready to go. So that came that became a real cue for me. And you know, I think there's a few Shield games. Uh, he stood on the side of the field and he'd get a message out saying, "Hey, you suck," you know, and um, that was his way of telling you that you're not doing what you're doing, and um, um, yeah. And then, then obviously he was around for one day uh, for, for for the Australian team as well, and he was able to either send messages to Buck or um, you know because he never he didn't travel with us, but he was home in in Australia for the home series, and um, he was able to you know get messages to John and say, hey, um, Vic needs to keep moving, and and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. So that was pretty cool in a, in a way that um, I, I knew that I had the the energy and the, all that, the vibe, but now to back it up with actually fact and and um, and some testing as well, where you know profile testing and all that sort of stuff. So, um, look, I I think uh, the lessons learnt from even like a Jeff Thompson and 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 Carl Rackham and Alan Border, some of those guys that you were around, those senior players who pretty much they were hard men, and um, you know so that environment also I think um, was was gold and in the fact of setting up that you just don't give anyone anything and um, and that was um, that was pretty good for your mental stuff I think and, and, and making sure that you know one I was always ready but two that um, you just don't don't let them in and um, you know just keep um, looking like you're in control um, of everything you do and um, you know the days when you blow up and you you're carrying on like a two second hand watch you know with uh, Blaming the run-ups, blaming the pitch, blaming you know the whatever it is, uh, the umpires. You know, um, they're the days you're going to really struggle with, and that's the that's that part. And I think um, when you give that poker face and you're you're not giving anything away, even though underneath you might be struggling, because um, you your your opposition feed off that. And I think that was something also that I really you know, became that poker face. Even Justin Langer telling me years later that, mate, you're the smiling assassin. You just always look like you're having a great time. And um, and the general public told me that as well. And, and deep down, maybe I was on the verge of being dropped or, um, you know, haven't got any wickets recent times, but um, no one knew from the outside that I was actually uh, maybe struggling. But, um, you know, my output 
um, physically was pretty pretty resilient and uh, looked like Jesus Christ never going away. Yeah, it's an amazing skill to be able to have big and, and develop. Um, and one one thing that I had to teach you. I'll tell you, yeah, it's, yeah, but, it's hard to teach that, you know, which is so, which is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, and it wasn't something that I was was my strength <laughs> of being able to hide my emotions. Um, <laughs> but you talk about there with, with Phil Jauncey and um, him defining exactly what the best version of you looked like, which was being busy and always being on the go, um, and you know, keeping your energy going. Um, that's a really powerful thing to be able to know what to do, um, and for. For the young people, uh, young people out there, or people who are listening to this, everyone's different, aren't they? Like as you said, like you, there was these profile testing, so I really defined exactly what type of personality type you were. And then, if you were like like you, you're busy and you had to. That was a like a real trademark for you at your best. Well, that's just no matter what, you had to keep getting back to that because you knew if you're doing that, then you're bringing the best version of yourself. Yeah, that's right. And I think I think back to it. You know, the days when you when you're playing and you run in and you bowl a ball, and it could be a half volley, and someone nicks it or they hit it straight to the fielder, and you get a wicket. Um, instantly, you're in the game, mm. and um, you know you feel a part of it. You feel like you've been accepted by your mates. Uh, you're not. You got a wicket in the scorebook. You go home and tell mum and dad, and and all of a sudden the day feels really easy. And the other days you come in and it doesn't quite work, and you bowl a wide, and you bowl a no ball, and you bowl one down leg side, and uh, and now you're really struggling in those sorts of you think about that, and I think if you can think about that, you've already got a wicket when you when you when you've started. I think that's the best positive mindset that you can have. And um, you know, we're seeing it now uh, with batsmen. You know, they uh, some some batsmen are very lucky. They get out there and there's a no ball free hit first ball, and they go on to score score plenty of runs because they they've got this positive uh, reinforcement from they're off the duck and they're, um, they're 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 starting to score already, and they've got the team in a powerful position. So. Uh, to the other times when the parole batsman is, you know, someone's bowling at him, he's swinging around corners and it's really hard and it's just, you, know, you end up just giving up and getting out, you know, because of it. And um, yeah, so so I think, you know, those, that positive mindset of getting yourself that you are doing well before you've started is is, is a pretty cool thing to try and train and, and, and make sure that um, you're not kicking cans because if you're kicking cans, that's, uh, that's, that's you're going to start on a downward spiral to, to not performing and that's um, not only uh, you're causing yourself a physical because you're going to be out there for a long time but mentally it's uh, it's hard I think you know even those days what are you you would have thought about it and you know the days when it didn't work and the captain would take you off and you bowled three or four or five overs in a spell when you're probably setting out to bowl six in the spell and uh, they've taken you off early and it hasn't worked for you and you've got time to think about it now down at fine leg and then come back for your second spell and I think um, there was a few of those times early in my career as well where, um, you know, you know, AB might, AB or Stuart Law or Ian Healy might be able to tell you to go down a fine leg and have a think about it. But, um, <laughs> it was still coming back and trying to have a positive mindset in that, in that second spell. And, um, and the times when I was able to do that and all of a sudden I was back in the game, but, um, it's not easy to do, and it, it um, take, took a little while to work that out. Yes, that's for sure. That's a, the harsh reality, isn't it? If you had a couple of <laughs> right. overs that the captain didn't like, then you're off and you'd, <laughs> yeah, right. you're wallowing in your own self-thought down a fine leg, especially in the Gabba. That's right. Bloody hot. That's feels right. like you're, that's in a, you're in a sauna. Um, Bic, yeah. I know you um, talk to, used to talk to me for, uh, a lot about visualization and preparation, that sort of thing. So what were the thing, what were the techniques that you really used to your advantage in the preparation for a game and also then during a game as well? I, I think um, before the match, um, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, 
Haydos uh, used it as well and he would take time in the middle of the game. But um, for me, it was to um, try and think about how these guys have got out recently, um, the, the opposition you're up against. And um, it's so funny because today I've, I've got documents and I've written documents on all, all players in first-class cricket and uh, even did one now for the Big Bash. And there's true, real trends and patterns in the way that people get out and um, – you know, we all, we all know those demons um, in our careers where whether we got out, you know, for me, it's probably just a big, a big Darren Berry summed it up one day called the Andy Snickle Bickle, um, <laughs> which was uh, where I used to get caught behind the wicket a fair bit. But, um, yeah, so I think that was that was the trait for me, I think, what I was to actually come back and how, how does this person, what's his trend and what's his pattern on how he gets out and then visualise visualize myself See the you know the whole thing you know just watch you know visualize myself running in seeing the ball go down and him playing a shot out of it and it nicks it and it goes behind and they were always caught as well which was fantastic uh, never never a drop in the visualization it was always always out and uh, so there's once again that positive reinforcement around that then a fair bit of footage came into it John Buchanan was able to back that up with footage so to sit down. Um, you know, once I'd played a few seasons and all of a sudden had some wickets against some of the opposition, um, to reinforce that by seeing myself do well through vision, mm. um, but then also um, particular players where, you know, I think uh, you know, some of his early understudies were sneaking around Sheffield Shield games, videoing from the side of the ground and stuff like that on opposition players. So um, that was a real uh, powerful tool that came into the game. You know, around that 90, 94, 95, 96 seasons um, uh, where no one else was doing it and it was a real cutting edge from John Buchanan and mm. a little bit sneaky as well. But, um, you know, today it's quite easy. Uh, you can just get on my mobile phone and watch the recent dismissals of every everyone around the, the ground. But back then you think it was, it was well before its time and um, uh, I think that was a real catalyst in, in, in myself being able to perform as well because... Uh, not only because I could I visualise it, but now I could reinforce it by some real truth and fact that I'd, um, there was me getting people out. And um, and if it wasn't me, it was someone simulated bowled out swingers, um, you know, in, in a previous test match where it was a you know, South African that might have been a match-up um, to you bowling to that particular batter or running one back into the left-hander or those types of things which, um, which you know, like I say today, it's it's quite easy to to get that, and probably can confuse you because there's so much information now. But um, but back then that was fairly well stream, streamlined for me, and and um, you know, I think Karen Perkins as well. I, I mentioned him before mm. in in, the, in, the, in my ability to swim, but uh, you know, to to be able to to be able to swim fifteen hundred meters and think about that black line and and uh, go up and down on that. Um, yeah, he he had used to visualise himself as well in, in that era and he was around that time as well. So there was some more, that was some more evidence to me that that um, what I was doing was somewhere down that, that similar line. So, um, and then, you know, then go and try it, go and swim 1,500 metres and look at that black line and, you know, um, it's pretty, pretty daunting really. Um, and um, to be able to get in a positive mindset that he was working on all, all the little things along the way to, to get himself to that fifteen hundred meters and be successful, so um, and that's exactly the same for for my process. And I think um, you know having um, the video footage to back that up. That was by the end of my career, there was heaps of it, and uh, it was easy to um, to to you know to look at the strengths and weaknesses of opposition batters um, through video footage. Yeah, there's no doubt that the visualization is 
such a powerful tool, and I know you. You, know, you always used to talk to me a lot about that. Um, and obviously, with the video footage to reinforce that in time, but still to be able to see yourself doing it, um, visualizing it. The gosh, the power and strength that that gives you is, um, yeah, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah, well, it's like practicing your run up, isn't it? You know, you run in and practice. Your, everyone used to do it; they don't do it anymore. But everyone would run in and practice some practice a ball. We were able to do it. Um, they stopped us running on the pitch, and you'd run beside the pitch, but you were still able to run in on your run up mm. and do it. Um, and you know, I think I got to the, a powerful position sometimes and go, "Well, I can see myself getting you out already." And that was before I'd even bowled a ball. So. Um, yeah, I wish I'd bring it back. Uh, it was pretty cool. I think the bowlers in T20 need it sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Uh, okay, Bixie, the, the media and scrutiny that comes with it can provide uh, a lot of different challenges at times. So looking back now, would you have approached the media uh, in a different way throughout your career? No, I, I don't think. I, I think um, I, I was uh, one who didn't read a lot of, of the detail. I probably fired up a little bit more when my opposition, my, my teammates were getting sledged um, by the media. And you also got to think, what we had a pretty good relationship with the media um, in those early days where, where we were on tour and um, they would be in the same hotel as us. Um, so in, the way, in a way, I sort of trusted the media a, a lot and, um, and felt that they were sort of my distant friends or distant cousins, you might say. So therefore, you never felt that, um, you were under the under the pump, even though there was someone in your team or your squad at the time, senior player um, being pulled apart, and um, and that was you know the detail. I think Adam Gilchrist coming in and really requesting uh, every media article, and, and probably would have been around with this when you started, so you, it was not good for you. But um, you know, he would request every media article that went back in Australia. You could be in, in West Indies or whatever, and, and they would come on a print form just in a big sh- sheets and, um, you know, he would flick through them and, and sort of check what people were writing about him. So that sort of changed a little bit of my psyche. But initially it was, um, you know, um, I don't really need to know. All I need to do is focus on what I'm doing. And if I'm doing what I'm set out to do, uh, the media stuff will take care of itself and, um you know, it, that's another point today where it's it, it's so hard for the players because it's a vortex. You get sucked into it at the start. It's all pretty cool. Um, you know, I think about some of those early media, media articles about Andy Bickle. It was about, you know, coming from Laidley and he had a pet dog and he was a really nice guy and, you know, all that sort of stuff and he helped out with the school kids and, you know, there was all that sort of stuff and that, that was what they were writing in the paper and um, and it's exactly the same now but it's uh, it's uh, actually more eyeballs and, and more people can see it because it's, um, you know, through social media and um, whatever avenue you're on, whether it's uh, there's so many different um, avenues to put yourself out there and it's all pretty cool. And then uh, at some point, as we as we both know, um, towards the back end of your career or or it's a test series where, you know, um, and I think, you know, we recently Joe Burns has probably suffered a little bit by that as well. And, um, and I think even Dan Christian the other day with a few things happening, so it's you know it's it's right there and on everyone's fingertips and um, it does make it hard for them because there's no turning back after you've been pretty much addicted to it for the six or seven years of your career and then all of a sudden um, um, so I, I've got no regrets at all with the way that it, it turned out for for me and as far as those you know that dealing with the media and um, and you know um, I'm probably lucky to play in that era I suppose for Shane you know as opposed to the current era mm. yeah that's for sure because. Um yeah, the guys that I've talked to have been on the on the show as well. 
um, your era and before that, it was a very like personal connection really with those with those journalists who are writing the articles because yeah, you're touring with them. They're in the hotel, you're at the they're at the hotel bar after after each day's play, so you're able to build a personal rapport. So there's less chance of them. <laughs> And obviously, they have to write the truth if things aren't going that well. But they're, they're going <laughs> to yeah, be right. a bit more, a bit more nicer with the words that they use if they've got a personal <laughs> yeah, relationship. Right. Oh, definitely. But now, obviously, with the with the social media um, landscape, that's obviously just makes it as as you said so well. Like it provides a, a vortex that you can just get sucked into. What would you recommend the youngsters who are coming through now, like to the best way to deal with this, especially this new platform of social media? Yeah, look, I, 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 my advice is, you know, I think around our Queensland team and the support base that we've got there with um, people that are coming through from, you know, from uh, sports psychologists to welfare to dietitians to, to all that. There's some, you know, pretty senior senior players around as well, and and some good coaching staff there. That, that the fact that I, I, I just, um, you know, just be careful with it, you know, and um, you know, just um, making sure that. Um, you know what you're what you're writing is is and what you're putting out there to um, your fans that um, you know at, at some point it, it's it, it it could turn ugly and um, I think you just got to keep educating them around that um, you know and and making sure that um, they're making those right decisions and um, you know I think the times of day that you're using your phone as well there's got to be a shut off time and um, you know. You know, don't get sucked into you know a few years ago, poor old Davey was still texting at you know late at night and all that sort of stuff. And um, you know, I think he's learned a lot from it. And he's he's probably the one that's um, uh, we could learn. Everyone could learn a lot from him in his journey and how he's gone about it through um, through the media outlets. Because let's face it, he he, um, he got a real kick in in his career through that social media earlier in his career, but through twenty twenty and. And the uploads and you know all that sort of stuff of, of what that was and it launched him into Australian cricket. But in the end, it became quite hard for him and um, and a real testing um, through through that you know that early stage of his career. You know before he even got to an established play, they were, they were coming for him. So mm-hmm. um, through that social media outlet stuff. So there's plenty of people we can learn from, and um, and hopefully that the the young guys today will, like I said, will tread a little bit lightly and 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 treat it as a as a source of information, but it's not the be all and end all. Yep, yep, totally agree, mate. You got to be careful. <laughs> got to be careful and try <laughs> yeah. and use it to, you know, to the best advantage that you can. But also, yeah, be careful because if you get sucked into it and you start reading stuff, then you can get, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it can itch pretty hard. Yeah, that's right. But this is going to get into other aspects away from um, of life away from cricket. Um, that, from my experience, cricketers don't really talk much about and it's something uh, that most of us aren't that well educated on but uh, managing investing uh, the money that we make is is integral to making the most of what we've got so from what you know now would you've done things differently from investment and wealth generation uh, point of view well i sort of stuck stuck with what i what i knew what i and that was to um stay in you know being a builder and having a background in um in building um mm. Uh, so sort of real estate was sort of something that I was sort of stayed in. Um, uh, yeah, look, I wish I would have kept my first home that I bought, um, you yeah, know, all that sort of stuff. Where was that? Where was that? that? <laughs> uh, I was in, in uh, Banbury Street at Carina, so yeah, okay. in, in Brisbane. It's yeah. it's still there and I think if you could keep um, every house that you, that you had through mm-hmm. through my journey. and uh, But I think that's uh, that was my plan was to actually, you know, do some renovation while I was um, – 
going through them and then and then move on to the next one and 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 so forth and um uh yeah i, I you know i got out of uh, out of cricket and um did a little course ar- around um uh renovating and construction and um didn't you know an online pretty much an online thing and um and sort of got myself my head in the game again and um and 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 did that so it's the due diligence around you know the around real estate and what the market is doing and all that sort of stuff is something I wish I would have learned earlier, mm. um, and um, and then potentially I may have held on to some of those places um, and structured things a little bit differently. But um, yeah, you know, I, I think just doing your your background background work and and thinking that you know just because you travel over the, over the world. Um, you know the market, and and um, and when I was coming home, the market was changed or it moved around or whatever it was, and um, I think that would have set me up a little bit, little bit better um, to to where I'm at today in, in in that regard, and possibly doing a little bit more training when I was younger, and maybe a you know, real estate course or whatever, and um, um, and not and ignoring the fact that I was just going to play cricket for Australia and what have you, but. Um, well, there's no 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 massive regrets, but um, yeah, there's lots of learnings along the way, mm. and and um, in, in in that regard, in, in the stuff I've done in in renovating homes and um, and and just moving them on, and um, and or vice versa. Um, I even had a go at selling one a few years ago, which was um, which was quite interesting uh, myself, which um, which I don't think I'll ever do again. But uh, <laughs> it was it was an interesting interesting experience, um, yeah. which I which I had to go through, and um, um, you know. Yeah, thank God I was. I had a pretty pretty good guy helping me on the, on my right hand side, but uh, but really I, I was in the mixer for that, and uh, it was something I hadn't done, and it was an experience that um, yeah I don't want to go back through that one ever again. Yeah. So so big. So for you, the ma- the major way that you invested was into in a property and renovations that sort of thing. Were you did you ever dig into the share market um, at all? Was it more so just in the into the property market? Yeah, mainly. Well, we were just all, we've always had shares um, throughout, okay. but it's pretty much the the you know the the ones that uh, we've never taken any risk on too mm. too many other than um, um, you know it's pretty much what the our, our financial you know, advisor has, has um, handed out, and and uh, you know there's a profit and a loss every year, but you know those ones that are less risk taking and. Mm. Um, and you know we sort of seem to do okay out of the shares over the years, but like I said, I haven't um, bought something at sixty three cents and it's sold at ten dollars. So I haven't haven't done that one, but uh, which a few people I hear about. Uh, have you have you heard those well. people? Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, well you hear, do you hear their losses probably <laughs> late at night. Late at night. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's a it's a whole interesting thing. But I think for me, it was. A life lesson of of do what I what I what I understand and mm. and, uh, and control that so um, that was something I, I felt comfortable with and and um, you know yeah it's uh, it's been it's been pretty cool to renovate and and uh, and sell homes over the years and um, you know I, I renovated a house about two and a half years ago it took me about eleven months to do it and um, yeah I'm not sure I'm, I'm not sure I want to do that one again either but uh, yeah. but it was. Uh, yeah, but it was nice to to actually just um, to get in and feel the market again and, and get a real understanding of what's happening and the techniques that are out there as well, which uh, which you know is all changed from whether you're tiling or you're plastering or even um, you know painting or whatever. The the, the whole industry's changed on, it, on its head, and um, you know it's um, doing some they're doing some amazing stuff out there. Yeah, and what you said there is 
absolutely spot on is do what you what you really know and stick to what you know because a lot of people sort of go outside of their sort of wheelhouse and that's when they can really get <laughs> yeah can get stuck yeah Okay, Bixie, as cricketers, a lot of us are always on the lookout for a great business opportunity to be a part of or invest into. So do you have any specific lessons that you've learned about um, from being involved or investing in businesses, especially when they didn't turn out as as planned? Oh, I'm lucky. I didn't have to. I haven't had to go down um, down that road um, too much um, as far as um, taking taking a risk on on uh, on a business. Um, mm. You know, I mean, I, for me, um, it was um, uh, I've pretty much been in coaching since I finished okay. and um, I, I've been lucky enough to stay in coaching and um, could I have done it a bit differently? Um, possibly. Um, but I'm happy uh, where I'm at. Have I had enough, um, you know, head role coaching jobs? Um, probably not at this point, but... Um, uh, you know, I mean, I think when I, when you've travelled um, for a long time um, around the world playing cricket, and um, you know, it's it's hard to believe. Sort of, if you write down every flight I've done in my career, you sort of think, wow, you know, you wouldn't do that ever again. And um, and and the places you've been. So probably the reason that's held me back a little bit was um, in the head coaching role is is the travel uh, that comes with. Um, those sorts of roles, and um, you know, yeah, I was you know involved in the IPL for a number of years, and, and assistant coach over there in 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 a, in a fantastic tournament, as you know, and um, you know, there's no regrets there in the role I had in those in those teams, and 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 now um, back at Queensland and and helping the the young kids of you know the Maroons um, coming through and and doing pretty well, so that's pretty special as well in my eyes um, to be able to do that. So it sort of puts myself in the position I'm in uh, as far as not having that coaching role. But one thing I have, have enjoyed is being home with my family and, yeah. uh, and being around them. So, yeah, that's sort of, um, yeah, there's, there's some, you know, some regrets and some, some also, but some upside in the fact that, you know, um, life in, in Queensland is pretty cool. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> <It's always>. <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing that I've realized is that life is all about how well you bounce back from setbacks that life always throws at you. Um, so do you have a mantra or a saying in your life that helps you bounce back quicker from the challenges that life always throws your way? Well, I think I, at one point there, what I, I, I turned up to training, um, I think it was a year and uh, you, you had a few injuries and um, Michael Kasper's had a few injuries in the same year. And I, I turned up to training once and one day and, and pull both of you guys aside. I don't know if you remember this, but I pulled both of you guys aside and I said, I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm sorry for asking you about how you're going with your injury. And it wasn't till I had a shoulder reconstruction and, um, and you started to realise how, um, how painful people can be around you uh, because they, they're well, their opening line to you is how's your injury and how you're going and when are you playing next. And um, um, so that... That sort of I suffered from that, um, you know, and it was at the back end of and my end of my career. I, I really spiralled downwards, you know, in a way, um, and uh, my career career was done, and um, there was no coming back. And uh, what was I going to do now? And um, it was uh, it was not great. We had a beyond blue um, session with the Queensland team, mm. and. Um, the lady just said, look, if you've got these sorts of things going in your mind, this, 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 this and this, um, possibly you should stay back after the, the session. And <laughs> here I am, everyone else had left and I didn't know how to face it. But 
um, I, I went and spoke to her and um, and it was all to do with injury and um, something I hadn't faced in my career and, um, you know, it eventually got me. But I do feel sorry for all those players who throughout my career that were injured uh, for a long stint of time and out, out for long periods, which um, some of my friends, you know, I played with had, had that experience throughout. And, um, you know, I just think that that was... Um, probably the toughest thing for me in my career, even though my career was over, um, mm. to get back um, from injury and, and live some sort of normal life um, as far as, um, you know, I think it wasn't too long after I'd finished playing and you're invited to go to the school and help out with the kids, you know. Um, I couldn't even throw them a ball. I couldn't even, you know, couldn't even do anything, you know, mm. and here's this guy that they've seen on TV or whatever and, you know, he's supposed to do this, this and this and um, just injury at injury at its at it. Um, and it was a sore point for me right at the end, and um, you know that's something I, I guarantee you I, I didn't wouldn't have, wouldn't be able to handle with that when I when I was playing. And maybe there was some more support around you. That's why I was um, um, maybe I might have been able to do it. But um, I think um, you know at the end, right at the end of my career, I was pretty much done through an injury, and um, and I was washed up, and uh, it was it was quite sad the way it all finished. Yeah, I'm going to touch on two points here. One is what you said there around when you get injured, <laughs> like I was for a, a big part of my career on and off. The one thing is people, it's it's an easy thing that people do know about in a way and it's it's small talk. They don't, people don't mean anything by it at all. But it's like, oh, how's, no. how's your so-and-so? Or for me, it was like, okay, so how's your – what is it this time? And I was like, and they were just like, yes, dig, so me. <laughs> dig me. Dig me. Dig me so deep. I was like, no worries. I'm, right? Um, right. But that's – but again, that's just part of people being nice. They don't, they don't – there's no ill attention there at all. But it's not no. until you go through it where you realise that I'm just trying to escape – this like this injury sort of cloud that's always hanging over me. I'm trying to escape it, but it's an easy like conversation start. I was like, okay, anyway. <laughs> so I do, I do remember you. I do remember you saying that for sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like at the end of your career. You know, you're getting invited to uh, to everything. You know, an opening of a shoebox, and um, and uh, I think I got a few. Got like maybe eight weeks in or six weeks, six weeks in, and um, and the doctor said oh mate you got to keep that sling on for another couple of weeks just not hasn't healed properly Mm. and um and i was going to functions i'd take it off because i didn't want the attention (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, which was which was you know wrong of me to do that but um it it was that sort of stuff because it was a real attention grabber by Mm. by having your arm in a sling and um and i you know i would take it out of the sling and just try and be normal in the Oh yeah, it's going great. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was you know it was always an interesting one. I think when when um, you know the the learnings and and you know and thank God I didn't have to go through it much in my career where you were sort of coming back from an injury which um, you know which had lots of setbacks for for a lot of people. But uh, yeah, I think '97 I had a little one there. And I was back playing, and then um, I think um, right at the end of my career was the only other time um, I was out for an extended period. Yeah, and talk to me about this, um, the transition out of, um, you know, finishing up not on your own terms because of the injury that you had, and then that transition into the next part of life because, look, I'm going through it, you know, right now, now that I've stopped playing um, altogether. Um, how, how did you find the, the way to be able to sort of come out of that sort of finishing up something that you've been doing all your whole life just about and then transitioning into the next phase of your life? Um, I found it quite easy actually, what I, you know, towards the back end of your career, it's quite interesting to watch um, some of the blokes I played with and um, 
Okay, boys, we're just Cricket Australia. I've got us doing a little um, a little coaching session here uh, with some kids, and um, yeah, it's it's forty minutes. Um, yeah, you, uh, we'll get you back in the bus and back to the hotel and all that sort of stuff. You can see most of the group that I'm with are going. Oh, so forty minutes? Yeah, cool. Um, have you got any water? Have you got any sandwiches? What, have you got something for me? <laughs> so there was a whole distraction around. Um, you know, about the next 40 minutes that they had to do, even though they they were putting back into the game. I won't mention any names, but um, I couldn't wait to get out there, you know, and then I was in trouble because I wasn't on the bus at the time and getting back on the bus after 40 minutes because I was still coaching kids and what have you. And and I think people, you know, throughout your career, you know, you're, you know they were, you'd run into them and um, they would say, mate, I am so happy. I am doing something I love every day of my life and whatever it was, you know, whether it was uh, – and I, I love playing cricket. There's no doubt, but I I lo- actually love coaching. And um, and to be able to get the call from John Buchanan, he, he took me on. I said I can't throw because I've got a, had a shoulder reconstruction, but I can I can help out around the place. And you know, he said I'll give you a few bob. I can't give you much. Do you want to come? I said, well, don't worry about the few, few bob. If you can get me to South Africa, I'm coming. So um, and that was it. And um, you know, because the um, I had a desire to, no doubt, to pass what I'd learned on to, to the next generation. I think we, and we all have that because we've given so much for our country. There's no doubt. But then the art of coaching, and that's the fascinating part um, um, to get be able to get your message across, to be able to to be able to communicate, to be able to um, um, to be able to get the player to have his ears pricked up and, and listen at those certain moments when he, he has got a learning moment because, you know, let's let's face it, we're a pretty closed mindset group, uh, especially in high performance. Um, so you've got to be able to connect with the players to make sure that, um, you know, you can pass on that knowledge and, and that that's the art of coaching. And, um, you know, that's um, one thing I've been lucky enough to do. I'm, I've been involved in high performance um, since I finished and still involved and uh, it's uh, – you know, the best best part of um, you know 12 13 years um, being coaching now and um, and the life lessons along the way and um, I think that's that's so I've been very very lucky and um, in, in that regard and, and to be around the game for as long as I have and, and enjoying every day you know, I had a session this morning with some under nine kids under 19 kids and it was a gym session with a bit of bowling technique and you know I just couldn't wait to get there and um, you know just to uh, to be be around them, but also hopefully start to guide them and mould them and 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 set them on the right journey. Good on you, Bixie. You got so much to give, mate. Very the people who who are fortunate to be able to be coached by you, they're very very fortunate. Um, yeah, it's amazing, mate. That's right, Bick. You've been around and met some of the most successful um, people in the world. So, is there one person that stands out to you the most that's inspired you, um, and and why? It was sort of forced on us in, in 1992, the first team to go into the South Africa after the apartheid era. Mm-hmm. So I went with the Queensland junior team and we didn't know what we were getting ourselves in for. Um, our coaches were Dave Gilbert and, and Trevor Holmes, who were pretty pretty wary and sceptical around the whole thing, but we were there to play some games. Um, did the tour, didn't really realise too much. Uh, just in South Africa, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, then I was... Uh, invited back at the Australian Academy uh, only um, 18 months later and pretty much played the same teams that we played. But now Australia had been there already for the first time in 93. They were, they were there and, and um, 
Australia had a pretty good tour of, of South Africa. And, um, and then I went back in 93, 94 with the Australian Academy. And um, I really, uh, yeah, there, was, uh, there was some protesting stuff happening and, and um, Nelson Mandela, um, you know, all of a sudden I worked out who this guy was and um, uh, to see him go through what he went through, but not only that, to inspire a nation to, to, um, to bring South Africa out of the doldrums in a way uh, into the you know, 20th century and... Um, so that he inspired me by what he did uh, was was um, amazing, and then I think um, you know going back to South Africa and you know all those years later, two thousand and three, it was I felt like it was my backyard and it was like a home place. So to actually go out and perform in a World Cup in South Africa, um, yeah, like I said, that visualization that I talk about, but I felt really comfortable in in South Africa and. And, um, you know, I probably had a fair bit to do with Nelson Mandela and his uh, way he inspired a nation. And, um, yeah, there's obviously some great superstars in Australia and Alan Border and Greg Norman, uh, you know, that spring to mind that have, that have uh, on their journey through. But um, Nelson was amazing. Yeah, the ultimate, wasn't he, to be able to bring – um, to suffer like he did, and then to have no like no chip on his shoulder whatsoever, and just to be able to bring yeah, and connect everyone together and, and unite a nation far out, and to, and to meet him as well. What I was pretty special too, so I got that yeah, honour as well wow. to meet him, and um, yeah, just a, a one before a one day game. I think I'm hold a bit faster that day as well. So uh, yeah, thanks, Nelson. You're yeah, a legend. how good, how good. Okay, Vic, this is the final question, mate, and I'm so grateful for you taking the time and these incredible insights. Um, I love reading books and, and watching documentaries. Is always I'm always trying to learn new things. So, can you give me a couple of your favourite books that you've read or documentaries that you've watched that have had the most impact on you? Um, for me, I, I like autobiography. So, a lot of lot of athletes um, that are probably probably around the same time, the John Eelses and uh, and what have you, their autobiography, just learning about them and what their journey was like. But I think for me, from even from a business point of view. Took me a little while to read it, but I got through it. And it was uh, Richard Branson's book, and um, uh, you know his uh, same again, autobiography around you know what how's, how his life has been, and the, and the highs and lows of his of his of his business dealings. But he was um, another guy that's done some things in 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 his life that's been incredible. So um, so that was an easy read, really, to get through. Uh, you know his 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 fascinating story that that. Um, that we all know about. Everyone's, uh, you know, he's a well-documented um, um, man in, in society, and um, he's done some amazing things with Virgin. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a must-read for me um, as far as um, as going through, and um, and uh, and you know, so it was very very special. Yeah, I agree. The one thing about Richard Branson, that book, just the detail that he, he goes into to understand his journey is, it is fascinating. Yeah, you see all the, when things have gone really well and he's obviously done incredibly well with Virgin, but there were so many moments along the way that <laughs> it was Risk about to, it was, yeah, it was about to just go under, <laughs> taking on British yeah, Airways right. and, you know, just there's yeah. so many moments, a lot of moments where it was just about, you know, the, <laughs> it was going to go, it was going to go belly up. So um, it's a, well, yeah, it's even a fascinating his, even his music stuff, you know, yeah. that fascinating house in, in England, you know, mm. that, uh, you know, the music and the, the risks that, the, you know, all the pop stars are hanging yeah. around his place and, uh, yeah. you know, getting, you know, the way it all turned out, it was yeah, pretty, pretty amazing, really. Well, Bic, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. You achieved so many incredible things on the cricket field during your career and now we've all been so fortunate to hear these amazing insights that we all can learn from for the future. 
Thank you so much for sharing all these experiences with us. And we are all that much richer for digging deeper into the mind of one of the true greats. Get on your pixie. Thanks, Wada. Absolute pleasure, mate. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.